Okay, jury members, we need to come to a conclusion on this case. He's guilty. There are 10 witnesses who saw him. I agree. Anyone think he's not guilty? I think he's not guilty. His brother said he was with him 300 miles away. I agree. I thought you agreed he was guilty. I did. I don't limit myself to only one truth. I believe there are many truths. Do you believe the testimony of the 10 witnesses? Yes. And you believe the brother's testimony? Yes. How is it possible for a person to be in a bank and yet 300 miles away at the same time? I don't know, but we need to respect the beliefs and testimonies of all the witnesses. In other words, you don't really want to think this through? First of all, to finish our our chart, Jesus drank wine, it says in the Bible. Now think about that. After everything I've said, the Bible says Jesus drank wine. Now how do we wrestle with that? Well, there's a couple things that we have to do. Because again, remember, what is the historical setting what makes a difference of what we're looking at? We got to go through the. We got to be very careful. That's why I said, like a court system, we have to be like the people in the. Uh, what's the people make the final decision? The jury. We got to go through this and be the jury here. We got to look at both sides and understand what it is and come to a discerning conclusion. Is and here's a question we have to ask: Is wine in the Bible equal to wine in America? That's that's what we have to ask, because that can change everything. Let me give you a scripture example. Let me, I'm going to show you two, in fact. Look at Isaiah chapter 16, verse 10. Gladness is taken away, and the joy from the plentiful field. In the vineyards there, were, there will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in the presses. Also, Isaiah 65 says, as the new wine is found in the cluster. What's a cluster? When you squeeze a grape, what comes out? The Bible says wine. What does English Americans say? Grape juice. You're missing something very important. The culture of that day called everything that came out of the grape wine. There's no confusion here if you think about it. When you squeeze apples, we get apple cider. Well, that's right. When you make apple cider, I'm sorry. Apple juice. And you can make cider. And cider can be hard cider or... Un, uh, soft cider, I guess, I don't know what you call it. You can have alcoholic cider, or you can have cider that's not alcoholic. Yet we call the word cider for either one. The Bible language doesn't decipher the two. You have to check the context. Sometimes they fortify their stuff to make booze. We know that. But you can't tell just because the word wine is used doesn't mean anything, because it meant both. Now, how do then we decipher whether Jesus drank booze or not? We go back to what we talked about. What did the command say to do? Not to drink booze if you were a king or a prince. Not to, if you were, isn't God himself the temple? Would he violate his own commands and drink booze? No, I don't think so. Yes, he drank wine, but our culture doesn't understand that that's not the same thing. I believe what this is is what he did. It's called Today, grape juice. But in that day, it was called wine. And not only do that, we have archaeological evidence. Do you know they found a wine skin, actually, that was like 2,000 years old? And when they dug it out, they literally opened it up, and it was still drinkable. And you know, they took it out, and you know what they found out? They have a thing called boiled wines... And then they have the thing called 
making alcohol. You know, the, the guys that were in the hills of Tennessee used to figure out how to make a still and make it booze. Well, the way they stored their, their wine was they would take squeeze of the grapes and they have all their juice. They boiled it down till it turned into a thick grape jelly paste. Now, guess what happens when you boil something? What is the, bo- and let me change that. What's the boiling point of water compared to the boiling point of alcohol? Anybody know? Alcohol has a lower temperature boiling point. It's below 212 degrees. What happens at 212 degrees when you boil water? It boils out and steams. Alcohol boils at a lower rate. So if you take grape juice and boil it down, the alcohol leaves the grapes and, leave, and then the water evaporates afterwards. You have then no alcohol in it and it becomes a thick grape juice. They took that thick grape jelly stuff put it in the wineskins and stored it. And you know what they did when they wanted to have dinner? They do what you do when you went to the freezer and got out a frozen thing of grape juice. Put it in the container, added water, stirred it up, and had your grape drink. That's how they did it. Now, the ones that intentionally wanted booze did what we do. They then made stills and they made it booze. But the average everyday wine was nothing more than what we call grape juice. And now they didn't have refrigeration, so sometimes some of it could get a little, but remember, it's such a small content that it wouldn't be what you call booze today. And there might have been some in there, but it wasn't on purpose then. And he turned the water into wine, and they said you, took out the, you kept the best for last. And they found in the writings, now the Greeks considered the most famous and most sought after wines, according to what they found in writings, were actually the boiled wines, which are not non-alcoholic. So the people of the culture of the world sought after the best wine, which was non-alcoholic. We know it by evidence, even. We have, we have science that proves this now. It's not just an opinion. So with all this in mind, I have to come to a conclusion that Jesus didn't drink booze. And therefore, I don't want to. Is that my personal conviction? I will argue for this point. I won't argue for whether to watch TV or whatever, or whatever, but I will argue this point. Other thing that I want you to see here that's going to relate to this is the charge of legalism. For me to do this, I'm going to be charged with legal, being a legalistic um, preacher. Let me give you the last two points. The one person says, no, I'm free to drink, and I'll still go to heaven. Who are you to judge me, Pastor Randy? This one says, yes, I understand, I'll follow holiness. And again, we have a division in, a, in, the, in the church over this kind of thing. Now, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus had a guy come to him and say, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What good thing do I have to do? And notice that's what legalism is. Legalism is the matter of motive or heart that says, I've got to do something to earn my way to heaven. What, do I, what good thing do I got to do so God will accept me into heaven? Jesus then quotes the commands of God and says, Why do you call him anybody good? But if you're going to ask, here you go. Um, you know the command. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And so forth. And then he says back to Jesus, Jesus, no sweat. I've obeyed everything. I'm perfect. So therefore, I've earned heaven. Right, God? Notice he was trying to earn. That's what legalism is. Trying to take the law and get your way into heaven. And 
it's a false idea that we can determine if, we are, if our works are good enough according to our decisions on that. And that's legalism. Number three, legalism is the creation of your own personal convictions. You override the scripture. He said, I did everything perfect. I should go. You know what Jesus told that guy? You lacked one thing I forgot to tell you. Take everything you've got, all your horses, all your house, everything you own. Sell everything till you become a pulper and then come follow me and then you can go to heaven. As long as you're going to do works, here's what you got to do. Otherwise, if you hold back one thing beyond your absolute need, you're greedy. Go ahead, buddy. And that guy said, wait a minute, I can't do that. I love my stuff and I'm not going to sell everything. That's outrageous. Who dare, how dare you ask me to sell everything? That's, that's ridiculous. It's a matter of motive and heart that keeps saying, uh, I have spiritual power over other people. This is what the Pharisees did. They would set up these same kind of rules, but they wouldn't even obey them. They disobeyed these rules. And also, they would outwardly do all kinds of religious acts, like baptism, wear fancy robes that have verses on their sleeves that were bigger than others to show that they're prayer warriors, things that were stupidly outward, and yet they, were, they didn't serve God. And so their out, they thought their outward actions took care of their inward problem of their sin. Either they tried to do it by self-righteousness, or like the other guy, they tried to do it by rules to get to heaven. Either way, you're wrong. Now, these will divide us, folks. If you spend obedience to your rules, you're going to divide the church and go to the left. But listen here what unity is. Obedience to God is not legalism. When you obey the clear writing of Scripture, that's not legalistic. That is being a true servant of God. Remember Luke 13 said, Jesus said to those, I tell you that I do not know you where you are from me. Depart from me. All you workers of iniquity. When you make up your own rules, that's what iniquity is, setting up your own rules. But obey, obedience to God is not legalistic. That's discipleship. When you walk with God and obey Him, that proves you have grace in your heart and you have the desire and the power to do God's will. Right? There's a big difference. Make sure you understand. So what do we have? Don't condemn one another. Don't condemn one another when it comes to areas like, for example, in my case, let me show you something. Stumbling blocks are a very issue, but I want to explain to you something. I got spoiled back a number of years ago. Somebody sent me a thing in the mail and told me that the history behind Christmas trees were straight out of pagan religion, just like the, the struggle between eating meat and not eating meat. When I read that, it spoiled me. I, couldn't, I cannot, to this day, put a Christmas tree in my house. And I can't let you put one here in the church. I don't care what you do at your house, but I can't put a Christmas tree in here. Paul never had a Christmas tree. Jesus never had a Christmas tree. None of the disciples had Christmas trees. It comes directly out of pagan worship. I cannot have one. I, every time I look at one, all I think about is like the guy with the pool table. That's paganism, and I can't worship God anymore because of it. I can't have it in my house. But that's my issue. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not put a Christmas tree in your house. If you can put a tree in your house and worship Jesus and think of Jesus, I'm not going to argue with you over that. Just don't bring it over my house. <laughs> I'll burn it at my house. But I can't. See what I'm saying? This is where 
Paul is talking about. This is where you have to make a choice and not judge each other and condemn. I don't condemn you if you put a Christmas tree in your house. Some people thought I condemned them just because I didn't have one. Even when I didn't say anything, I got yelled at because they thought I was condemning them because I didn't have one. I'm sorry, I can't do it anymore. I was raised with Christmas trees all my day. But the moment I got that pamphlet that gave me the history of what it was, it ruined it for the rest of my life. I can't see it the same any longer. You hear what I'm saying? That doesn't mean it will ruin it for you. And I'm not condemning you for that. This is what I'm saying. This is where these areas of we don't have specifics that you have to love one another. God has called us to love one another and not to put stumbling blocks in the path of each other. Do you love your brother? If you love your brother enough, you won't put something in their way that hurts them and throws them back into a pagan, sinful lifestyle, no matter what it is. Even could be good things. That's the issue. Don't violate your conscience no matter what people say. Even if people convince me from the Bible today that it's okay to put trees in their house, I still can't do it because my conscience screams at me every time I look at it. I can't do it. And I will not violate my conscience that God, maybe if God someday later when I'm 92 years old and God finally says, give it up, then maybe I can do it. But right now I can't. Problem again, like I said, but I can't violate my conscience and neither can you. So don't let that do it. Here's the final thoughts. A weak brother should not violate his conscience even if strong believers convince him it's okay. And strong brothers should not have a clear conscience while they are offending a weaker brother. Both are important because God called us to love one another. And that means on the gray areas that are truly gray, we need to give space. You agree? But if I can show you in the Bible the truth, you better listen to me, buddy. (laughs) And if you show me clear in the scripture, I better listen to you. Because some things aren't gray and we try to make it gray for our excuses. Remember, be holy, for I am holy is not a suggestion but a direct command from God Almighty. It is not legalism to fully obey God, but it is hypocrisy to ignore His will and claim it is a gray area because you found another preacher or friend to disagree with the interpretation of God's choice of what is holy. To excuse your conduct because it is what you really want to do, instead of protecting others is selfish sin. Learn to discern. Romans 14:13 says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. To truly love others you must make decisions to remove stumbling blocks that weaken and threaten others, not build them. You cannot be simplistic with your choices and conduct by following the way of the current culture. God demands all His narrow road followers to be holy in all your conduct. He decides what He means by that, listen carefully to Him. It takes effort to discern the will of God, but easy to make excuses by looking at others for your answers. 1 Peter 1 14-16 states, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. If you have questions you can ask Randy by contacting him on Twitter at Randy Bell or online at narrowroadunderground.klptv.com.